0: Before we moved up here about five and a half, almost six years ago, we lived in Virginia. Had a really good friend uh, of mine that was an avid cyclist, So I'd like bicycle. Now, he also rode a motorcycle too, but uh, a cyclist with, with the pedal power type of bike. And he and I would go on rides periodically. Now understand, this guy trained basically every day of the week for hours. I didn't. So we would go on rides, and there would be a training ride for me. For him, it would be an off day. Uh, or an, an easy day, a recovery day, if you will. So we did this for a period of time, and we were, There was a beautiful, I don't know if it was a fall or a spring day, but we had just gone on about a 15 or 20-mile ride, and I felt pretty good. And I was drafting him, which means I was setting in behind him, letting him do all the work and take all the wind so that I could retain my energy. We got about a mile from the house, and I thought, you know what, I'm feeling pretty good today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what I can do with this. So I attacked, which means I went as hard as I could. Um, we were coming up a slight hill. I thought, okay, he's, he's climbing this hill. He's not going to be expecting me to attack. So I attacked. I got around him, right around the top of the, uh, the apex of the hill, going down the other side. I am just getting it. And we get about six-tenths of a mile from the house, which is where we turn onto the road that takes us to, to our house. And I just get, did a glance over my shoulder. Uh, I'm in a pretty good spot. i got several links on him. Well, I've got about a quarter of a mile from the house, and I see this figure, like, over here on my left. And I looked over, and here he is. Big old smile on his face, just looking over at me. Now, mind you, I'm grimacing. I am, di- I am getting this for all I'm worth. Lactic acid buildup in my legs. I've got nothing left. And he just smiles at me, does a little wave, and yeah, exactly. He might as well have been on a motorcycle in that situation because the distance that he put between me and him in that, in that last two to 300 yards was incredible. So we got to the end of the ride, and we got, we got off our bikes, and he smiled. He goes, hey, that was a pretty good effort. I'm thinking, that's a pretty good effort. That was everything I had in the gas tank. And you just blew me away, like almost effortlessly, it seemed. So that led into a conversation uh, around how he trained. And, you know, this, like I said, was a beautiful day. And I asked him, I said, you know, whenever you go on your training rides, said, do you ever enjoy what is around us? This part of Virginia is a beautiful area. Uh, Fields, a lot of nature, a lot of wildlife, hopefully not in front of you on the road. But he said, no, I don't. I don't see anything else around me. I said, what do you look at? He had a gauge on his handlebars, called a wattage meter. He said, that's my sole focus, was his wattage meter. He saw nothing else around him. The only thing he saw was what indicated the amount of effort that he was putting into his rides. And that led into a little bit of discussion around, okay, so there's great focus there, but he's not able to enjoy the ride. So this morning, we're going to go for a bike ride. This bike probably looks a little different from the ones that you rode growing up. It's a little different from the one that I rode growing up, too. It's probably a lot more expensive as well. Uh, This one's not $25. It's probably several thousand dollars. The bikes that are ridden today are very different from the bikes that we rode as kids. And the world that we live in today is also very different. From the world that we lived in as kids as well so that's a little bit of the purpose of the bike being a little bit different up there and on our ride we're going to hit a couple of places here this morning we're going to take a ride down complacency corner we're going to talk about purpose we're going to talk about distractions and we're going to finish our conversation with the i am so let's open our uh, open our time this morning with a word of prayer father God, we thank you for the opportunity to spend some time here in your word. God, I thank you for the privilege of being able to to share what you have um, laid on my heart and God challenged me with, um, not just this week, but throughout the course of uh, many weeks in my life in many cases as well. Lord, I pray that you would uh, open your truth to us this morning. God, help us to receive what it is that you would have us to hear, uh, God, so that we would go out of here changed and, and Lord, be able to... um, to carry forth your word and glorify you more effectively, God, we commit this time to you. Ask for your blessing in it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, for this particular friend, he had a really uh, he had a real focus on what his goals were. But what he found difficulty with was being able to enjoy the ride. So we have two things we want to talk about here at the beginning of, of this discussion. One, how do we stay focused on what our purpose is? But secondarily, how do we do that and still be able to enjoy the ride? Because if I'm so focused on my wattage meter, I can't enjoy the ride around me. Whereas the other danger, if I enjoy everything around me so much, that potentially can lead to complacency. So complacency we're going to define as a feeling of quiet pleasure or security often while unaware of some potential danger, defect, or the like, self-satisfaction or smug satisfaction with an existing situation or condition. And complacency does two things. It hinders our focus, and it also allows us to settle for something of lesser quality or value. Now, that applies both generally in life, and it also applies specifically in terms of our spiritual life. There are times whenever we may become complacent or Satan helps us to become complacent in our walk. And there can be a number of contributing factors. We'll actually talk about some of those uh, here this morning. But it ends up hindering our focus. That wattage meter isn't quite so clear anymore. Or it allows us to, you know what, this is just good enough. And this is acceptable. So, There's a Canadian goose. You see that Canadian goose there on the screen. Canadian goose was flying south, we'll just say, over Chester County uh, one fall day and got separated from its flock. And as it got separated from its flock, it flew over another farm. Uh, We'll just say it's Farmer Jones' farm. And he looks down and he sees some Toulouse geese. Anybody know what a Toulouse geese is? A Toulouse goose? Toulouse geese. Toulouse. Yeah. What's that? They can't fly. That's exactly right. Very good. They're kind of heavy. They're they're a heavy breed. They might flap a little bit, but they don't get off of the ground. So the Canadian goose is flying over, sees this flock of geese down on this pond, thinks, you know what, I look a little bit different from them, but, you know, they're still geese. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to land. So he goes down and he lands. Starts interacting with these other geese. He's accepted. Uh, Thinks, well, you know what, I'll just stay for a day and, and wait for another flock to fly over and I'll join them. Well, a day became a week, a week became a month, and a month became winter. And so now it's winter, and the flocks are done flying. So this Canadian goose decides, well, you know what, I'll just stay for the winter. Because Farmer Jones's wife was a real gentle lady. She took really good care of her geese, brought cracked corn out to the geese every day. And that was really good. It's good food, very comfortable. Um, And so he enjoyed that winter there at the pond with these Toulouse geese. Come spring, the wild geese are flying back north. And he looks up. He hears the honks of his comrades. He sees them flying. His spirit wells up within him. That's what I'm created to do. And he goes and he flaps, and he can't get off the ground. And so while his spirit says to rise up, he finds an inability to be able to do that because of the experiences that he's had. And so, at this point, the goose has a choice, all right? So, do I commit to soaring again, or do I just enjoy the cracked corn? So, this particular goose decides to go back and enjoy the cracked corn, which is nice. It's comfortable. It's good food. He's well accepted. But every spring and every fall, for the next several years, he hears... Wild geese flying overhead. His spirit wells up within him, but he just can't get off the ground. But the welling of the spirit dissipates each time he hears those wild geese flying overhead. Until after several years, he just completely stops listening. That goose, the Canadian goose, has created a fly and created a sword. Taluzki's are not created to do that. What this goose learned is that complacency can lead us to accepting lower standards than what God would have for us, lead us to leading a half-hearted Christian life and actually not experiencing God's best for us. So there are two symptoms I would submit to us this morning that could be indicators, I'm not saying are indicators, but could be potential indicators of complacency. One, is satisfaction with the way things are, and the second one is rejection of the way that things might be now that first one satisfaction with the way things are. I want to talk about that a little bit uh, by the word satisfaction there implies a settling an accepting of something of lesser value. This is not contentment; there is a huge difference between satisfaction and contentment in fact. Paul, in the epistles, talks to us about that. Paul says, I have learned how to be abased and learned how to abound. I've learned to live in plenty and to live in one. In, in every situation, I have learned how to be content. Contentment is not satisfaction. Contentment is a peace that comes from God and understanding and applying the principles of his word and knowing that he's got things in control, even whenever my life may be out of control. Um, please keep that in mind. Satisfaction is very different from contentment. Satisfaction is a settling. Uh, and then also rejection of things as they might be. So Proverbs chapter 1, verses 32 and 33 state, For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Revelation 3, 14 to 16, this is one of the letters to the churches. Whenever you read um, Revelation early in, in the book, there are several letters to some of the churches of, uh, of that particular day, and, or of, uh, from the early church. And verses 14 to 16 of Revelation chapter 3, this is to the church of Laodicea, reads, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of them. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Complacency dulls our attitudes and changes our perspectives. What becomes good enough for today ends up becoming tomorrow's standard. And whenever tomorrow's standard ends up being lowered, that becomes next week's level of expectation. Complacency can make us fear the unknown, mistrust the untried, and actually abhor the new. Like water, complacency causes us to follow the easiest course, which is downhill. Now, relating that to a bike ride, if I'm on a bike ride, if we are on a bike ride, and we get a downhill um, trend, that's actually not a bad thing. There are times whenever we strive hard to climb a hill, and then we need some recovery time, and downhill is not a bad thing. However, if the entire ride is downhill, that's never going to build our strength, and that applies also in life. So our primary context this morning is John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20, and it looks like I should have made that put that on two slides as opposed to one so if you have your Bibles and if that's that my guess is that's tough to read because I know I can't make it out in the back either uh, but if you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 8 verses 12 to 20 I'll give you a chance to do that since I didn't make that big enough for our slide in front of us so the context of this is Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and there's actually a, a dispute over Jesus testimony here. The Pharisees are asking him some questions, and then he basically stands his ground in the discussion. So John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered and said, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you wouldn't have known my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus knew what his mission was. Jesus knew what his purpose was. If we were to go around the room after reading this text and ask what stands out to you in this text, we would probably get a a lot of different answers, maybe a different answer almost from each person in the room. And that's perfectly fine. What I would like to focus on this morning is Jesus' confidence in his purpose. His purpose was to be the light of the world. And nothing deterred him from that. Even whenever the Pharisees challenged him, Even whenever Satan himself challenged him, Jesus never deterred at all from his purpose of being the light of the world. Two things I'd like us to think about this morning in terms of what light does. Light does a lot of things, but there are two things in particular that I'd like us to focus on this morning. One is it dispels darkness, and the second one is that it brings clarity. Our kids have a nightlight in the room. This never happens when Christine puts them to bed, but it happens usually about 30 to 40% of the time when I put them to bed, that I'll forget to turn the the night light on. And so there's a a component of whenever we're kids, and I remember this also when I was a kid, I always wanted a little bit of light somewhere, you know, whenever I was going to sleep. But what will happen is, inevitably, if I don't turn the night light on in the room, I walk out, I turn the the hallway lights out, I hear a, "Ah!" and I know exactly what that is. I forgot to turn the night light on. So I go back, and I turn the nightlight on, and it's a good reminder that I don't forget that. And it's almost become a little bit of a game now, like, Dad, you forgot again. What are you doing? Um, But again, you never hear them scream whenever Christine puts them to bed because she doesn't forget to do that. But why do they want that nightlight on? Because it breaks the darkness. It dispels the darkness, and it creates some clarity for them about their surroundings. So with that context in mind, understanding Jesus' confidence about his mission and his purpose, I'd like to now take that and talk about our purpose and our mission. So we started off our conversation this morning talking about complacency. So how do we overcome that? How do we overcome complacency? We overcome complacency with purpose. Okay, good. So what is our purpose? What's my purpose? What's your purpose? What's our purpose as a church, maybe as a congregation? Now, purpose doesn't always correlate to why you got up in the morning, but I'd like to start this conversation with that particular question. Why did you get up in the morning? Why did you get up this morning? Just throw out some answers. Why did we get up this morning? I had to, okay? If I didn't have to, I wouldn't have, okay? I was hungry. Our stomachs stimulate breakfast time. Good. Wanted to come to church. Good. Any other reasons? It was light out, so that means it's time to get up. Right. Kids are knocking at the door. They're hungry. They want to get up. Um, maybe the cat jumped on your bed and said it's time to get up or the dog needed to be let out. Whatever the purpose is, the the reason behind why we get up, there are a number of reasons as to to why we get up in the morning. For some of us tomorrow, our our focus whenever we get up in the morning is going to be to go to work. For others, it's going to be something else. And that's okay. Uh, We get up for different reasons in the morning. Reasons for getting up don't necessarily correlate Uh, synonymously with with our purpose for why we get up. There are reasons why we get up, but what is our purpose in getting up? What is our purpose whenever we get up each morning? What is our purpose each day that we live? And if we thought about that rhetorically, I'm not going to ask you to share those things here, but if you were challenged with that particular question, what is your purpose? We might get various responses. We might get things like, uh, you know what? My purpose is to be a good father or to be a good mother to my kids. My purpose is to be a, a good spouse. My purpose is to be a good church member. Uh, my purpose is to be a good church leader. My purpose is to be uh, a good Sunday school teacher. My purpose is to be a good employee at my job or a good manager to those that I oversee. My purpose is to be a great athlete. My purpose is to be a good witness to those around me for the sake of the kingdom. All these things are good, but I would submit to you that none of them are actually representative of what our purpose is. And if these become my purpose, they can actually become snares of the enemy. For example, if I see my purpose in life as being a great athlete, for example, this friend that I had mentioned, the, the goals that, that he had were to be uh, on the Olympic team, and he worked incredibly hard to achieve that goal, and whenever the time came for him to be in uh, a qualifier for the Olympic trials, um, he would, the, the last race that he was in, he had to finish one, two, or three in that particular race and i'm probably going to get some of my numbers wrong on this but i think it was a five lap race he was a mountain biker um, and so it was a five lap race and there were actually in this particular race some who had already qualified for the olympic trials and first lap was good second lap was good third lap was good he was in the top three to five just for the sake of not not over speaking here because i don't remember the specifics fourth lap he basically hit his final wall and he couldn't maintain his pace and so he didn't qualify so to him if there wasn't a goal to achieve it wasn't worth doing and so it was time for him to hang up his biking shoes and put his bike on a rack and His purpose in life, and if you talk to him, he'll tell you, that was my purpose in life. His perspectives were misplaced. He was a Christian, still is a Christian. Yeah. (laughs) uh, He was a Christian at that point in time, knew God, but his purpose was misplaced. And whenever he went through that time of life where his sole focus was changed, and there was no, quote-unquote, purpose to drive after anymore, he really, really struggled. So if my purpose, if I see my purpose in life as being a great athlete and then I don't achieve those goals, where does that lead me? If I see my purpose in life as being, let's say, a great spouse, and then I have a disagreement with my wife around something, where does that lead me? We are not defined by what we do. We are defined by Christ who is the I am and what he did. We are not defined by what we do. We are defined by Christ, the I am and what he did. Now, nothing in that list in terms of like being a good father or mother, being a good spouse, being a good employee at work, none of those things are bad. And I would even submit to you that they're actually good aspirations. But none of them actually represent our purpose. But they should be evidence of our purpose, evidence of Christ in our lives. So what is our purpose? It's actually posted over here on the wall. Our purpose is to glorify God and to delight in his presence in everything that we do. To glorify God, that is both individually and corporately. We're going to look at a verse here where we see the corporate component of, of glorifying God, but that's our wattage meter. Glorifying God is our wattage meter. That's our focus when we're on the ride, to glorify God. And to delight in his presence, that's the enjoyment of the ride. So we can focus on our wattage meter. We can glorify God. We strive to glorify God, but we can also Enjoy the ride by delighting in his presence. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. This is Paul actually speaking to the church in Rome. The text reads, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is to the church in Rome. That is to us today, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So my purpose is not to be a good father or to be a good mother of my children. That's a calling. That's something that I should strive to do because of my purpose to glorify God in every aspect of my life. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers do not provoke their children to anger, but bring them up in the disciplined instruction of the Lord. I should strive to be a good father. I should follow the directions that are given to me in Scripture for my kids. But that's not my purpose. My purpose is not to be a good spouse, but in glorifying God in what I do, that should be an important component of my life. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, likewise, respect your husbands. My purpose is not to be a good employee at work or to manage well for those that I oversee, but that should be a component of my life because of glorifying God. Colossians three twenty three and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and rather, uh, as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. My purpose is not to be a good church member. My purpose is not to be a good Sunday school teacher, although if that's what God calls me to, I should evidence his spirit in me in those contexts. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to, the good, to God the Father. So my purpose is to be a good witness to those around me. No, that's not my purpose. That is a calling. That is something that God asks all of us to do. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We should be witnesses to those around us because of our purpose of glorifying God. This is a command that is given to us. Now, we can't be in all those places. We can't be in Pottstown and Chester County, and Pennsylvania, and the United States, and the world. We can't do that. But we have people from this church that have been called to do that. And we have the opportunity to support and to pray for them. If we see the primary purpose of our lives as anything other than glorifying God, it is misplaced. And misplaced purpose has the potential to lead to idols in her life. If my wife is my focus and my purpose is to make her happy or to please her or to be a good husband for her, she ends up being, not definitively, but quite possibly an idol in my life. And that's not healthy for her and that's not healthy for me. If I see my purpose as being a Sunday school teacher, all of a sudden my Sunday school class or the preparation for it can become an idol. Things can become idols. People can become idols. And if we get our eyes off of our purpose and those things become preeminent, they have the potential to become idols in our lives. Likewise, if our identity is placed anywhere other than Christ, it is also misplaced. I shared the situation about my friend and where he saw his purpose, his identity was also In being a cyclist if you asked him you know what do you do he'd say i'm a cyclist first and foremost above everything else god gave him great ability and worked very hard at it and that's great but that was not his purpose nor was it his identity so we take a look at complacency we take a look at purpose we take a look at identity so Okay, so now we, we, we understand our purpose. We understand that our identity, our, our identity has got to be in Christ. But we still have difficulty staying focused. At least I do. I those things are pretty clear in Scripture, but I still have difficulty staying focused. I don't know about the rest of us, but I know I still struggle with that. Why is that? If these things are so clear in our lives, why do we still have struggles? Why do we have difficulty staying focused? It's because we live in a flesh, uh, we live in, an imperfect society, and we have a fleshly nature. So how easy is it for us to get distracted from our purpose? Well, it depends on the nature of the distraction. So if we're on a bike ride, these are some potential distractions. The one up there in the upper left, to me, would constitute actually taking a break from the bike ride. And uh, if it didn't move, I would see how close I could get to it. And for some of us, now that has become a distraction and you're not listening to anything else we're going to say the rest of the morning. (laughs) However, you've got a number of different things that are up there that could be potential distractions on a bike ride. You've got a deer, you've got a car. If the car's on the other side of the road, it's maybe a little bit more or a little bit less of a distraction depending on our nature. Uh, If you've got people on the road, we've got to be aware of them as well. Scenery, Uh, Christine came down this morning and this is the only slide she saw of the entire message. And she goes, how is scenery a distraction? She said, well, if we're on a bike ride and we end up enjoying the ride to where we forget about our focus there, there's a fence over there along the side, and we could probably pull up a YouTube video that would show somebody riding and ending up in a fence as opposed to staying on the road. So these things, from a bike ride standpoint, can be distractions. But in our Christian walk, in our Christian life, What distracts us? What kind of things pull our attention away from focusing on and glorifying God? Any thoughts? Okay. Heard something else over here. All right, so those are a few things. If we spent, we could take five minutes and we would probably not, well, we definitely wouldn't get an exhaustive list, but we could come up with a lot of other things. But as we go into this, I want to also share with you a statement that um, actually my wife shared with me from a book she was reading. And the, the book stated, whatever you focus upon, you will steer toward. So here in this bottom right picture, if my focus is really on that fence I most likely am going to drift over at least head that direction on that road. I know if i uh, sometimes i 'll run on a treadmill whenever i 'm at a uh, staying at a hotel, and depending on where they have the TVs set in the in the fitness center i don 't know if you guys have ever done this or not, but if the tv 's off to the left and you 're running, you start going this way, and vice versa, you start going the other direction. And I found for myself, if the TV is not pretty much dead center, I have to, I have to, I, I have to block it out. Otherwise, I end up on the side and stumbling, and um, I've had bad situations happen whenever the stumbling part takes place, and we won't go into that. But uh, that can lead to a detrimental outcome. But what we focus on is where we, what we will steer toward. So various distractions in our lives, you guys mentioned a few, technology was I think the first one that came up, Um, but there are other things that can distract us too. People, uh, our own desires sometimes, um, potentially feeling mistreated, disagreements, kids, spouse, money. You ever feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling and coming right back at you? And one day, driving to work this past week, I was praying. I got, I got home that night, and Christine was like, how'd your prayer time go this morning? So, you know, I really felt like my prayers didn't get above the roof of the vehicle. It was just one of those days. And so those things can all be distractions for us. And some of these aren't necessarily bad things. The kids aren't a bad thing. Life's not a bad thing. You know, having um, desires for certain things, as long as they're placed in the just having desires or preferences Those aren't necessarily bad things. And distractions in and of themselves aren't always necessarily bad, but it's how how we allow them to affect us. Keep in mind also that what distracts me might not be the same thing that distracts somebody else. So how do we retain our focus, not get sidetracked by distractions, and steer in the right direction? Last week, Tim opened our sermon series, the I Am series, and he talked to us about the situation whenever Judas brought the Roman cohort in uh, to arrest Jesus. And as they came in, they were looking for Jesus, and Jesus saw the group. And Jesus said, anybody remember what Jesus asked him? Yeah, who are you looking for? And the response from the cohort was, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus' response was what? I am he. And Tim, as he said it last week, was... (sighs) The power and the awe in that statement caused them to back up and fall down. Just like it should whenever we behold the I am. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. As we walk through life, there are often times that we end up losing the awe of who our God is and who Jesus should be in our life. We're going to have distractions. Those things are inevitable. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to have challenges. and There are times in our lives where some of those distractions are so strong. We just want to throw our hands up in the air. And we want to give up. And some of us might actually be at that point here this morning. I would submit to you that all else fades when we spend time peering at the face of Jesus, basking in his presence, and allowing his light to bright illumination and clarity in our lives. We have a couple of crosses here in the sanctuary. One up here, that one was in the center of the sanctuary for quite a period of time back in the fall. And I look at that cross and I see solid. Jesus is solid. He can be depended upon. He doesn't change. He doesn't waver. But the cross that I want to point us to this morning is not actually that one. It's the one here above the screen. How many of you ever noticed that one in the sanctuary? And as you get closer to it, it's hard to read. But it's the names, it is comprised of various names of Jesus. And the question that we want to ask ourselves this morning is whenever we behold that cross and whenever we behold Jesus, do we actually behold all of who he is or just the parts and the names that we're comfortable with? Do we try to take him and fit him into a description that makes sense so that we can understand him? Do we try to fit him in a box? Or do we acknowledge and praise him because we can't fit him in a box? My general tendencies, personal disclosure here is God has not created me to be a visionary. It's just not the way he's made me. It's not the way he's designed me. I kind of like things to be comfortable, predictable, um, explainable. Generally speaking, I'm not a big advocate of change. And even at work, I've been encouraged by folks to be a little bit more, they call it change agile. Because I'm not an advocate of change just for the sake of change. If there's a need for change, fine. But whenever somebody comes to me at work and recommends a change just for the sake of doing something different, I'm not the first one to jump on board with that. And maybe some of you are created very similarly to the way that I'm created. But when we behold Jesus, when we bask in his presence, we should be in awe of all of who he is. Overwhelmed by the fact that we can't describe him That his ways are unexplainable. And that he works in people's lives in a manner that don't fit in to what we might be able or want to understand. So what are some of those names? This is not an all-inclusive list by any means. But as I read through this, I would encourage you to take a look at that cross. And behold, the I am. He is Jehovah. Emmanuel, the Alpha and the Omega, the Beginning and the End, the Almighty, our Savior, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man, our Mediator, the Apostle, the appointed Judge, the high, our High Priest, the Author and the Finisher of our faith, the Bread of Life, the Bridegroom, the Chief Cornerstone, the Chief Shepherd, faithful witness, the Firstborn of every creature, the Good Shepherd, the Head of the Church, the heir. Image of the invisible God, judge of the living and the dead, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah, the living stone, the Lord of glory, the only begotten Son, and the propitiation for our sins. He's our Passover Lamb. He represents the power of God. He's the Prince of life, the Prophet of the Most High, our Master, our Ruler, the way, the truth, and the life, and the light of the world who brings clarity. And purpose to everything that we do. So, this morning, on our own ride, where are we? Are we struggling with complacency? Are we satisfied with things that God would not have us be satisfied with? Are we settling for something less than what God might have for us in our lives? Are we maybe distracted? and potentially even given up on circumstances or situations. I would encourage us to behold the I Am, who He is, all of who He is, and let His light bring clarity to us this morning.